Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, David Rolfing steps into the interrogation room to try to get his story straight. Before taking up writing, David had a long and successful career in business that gave him the opportunity to travel to all but one continent. The first novel in his Detective Sasha Frank mystery series is entitled Deliberate Duplicity, and it won an American Fiction Award when it was released in January of 2021. The second book in the series, entitled Cold Consequences, just came out this past July. When David's not writing, spends as much time as possible with his wife and family and working on this golf game. He's currently working on the third novel in this series. In addition to his writing, David and I also discuss a cardiac event he suffered in March of 2019. Having a heart attack at home, David was down for about 15 minutes without a pulse. The acknowledgement that he has in this latest book, Cold Consequences, he thanks his wife, along with the 911 dispatcher, police officer, paramedics, and an amazing group of medical personnel at Carly Broman Medical Center who brought him back to life. If it were not for the heroes he listed above, he says he would not have been able to write Cold Consequences, and he thanks God for the miracle that he survived. David, welcome so much to Writers on the Beat. I'm so grateful for you to be here and to spend some time talking about your latest release. Gavin, thank you very much. I look forward to talking with you. Now, for everyone who didn't get an advanced copy or hasn't already picked up a copy of Cold Consequences, what would you want them to know about it? Um, I think Cold Consequences is the second book in the Detective Sasha Frank mystery series that I've written. And I think it's a very fast paced, much faster paced than the first book. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's, a, it's an exciting book and a book that uh, to date has garnered some very strong uh, and good reviews. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about it today. Yeah, I understand some congratulations in order that deliberate duplicity just recently won a fiction award, right? It did. Uh, American Fiction Award winner in the uh, mystery suspense procedural category. So I was very excited to recently learn that. Very yeah. honored. And yeah, absolutely. Deliberate Duplicity, that's, uh, is that technically your first published novel? It is. Uh, it came out earlier this year uh, in January and uh, followed up by Cold Consequences that came out just about a month ago. So your, your first rattle out of the box and you've already got an award, that has to put some pressure on you for what's next. Well, it was exciting to learn that, um, you know, as, as a writer, as you know, it's, it's uh, awards are a wonderful thing. And I never had any expectation that I might win something like this. So it was very exciting for me and the publisher and my publicists were all pretty excited about it. So um, I'm very honored. Now, this series features Detective Sasha Frank, and you've placed him working in, uh, in Bloomington, Illinois, right? Correct. And for writers um and and well <laughs> because of readers expectations for writers it's it's very different for us to write a a series about an LAPD or NYPD detective um what the expectations are versus you know the typical a lot of you know small town kind of cozy crime and this isn't that this is uh, a smaller town, a, a little city, really, but it's still a really good, solid mystery. And I, I wonder how you went about crafting that 
to kind of balance reader expectations with uh, with the story you wanted to tell? Well, I had thought that it would be interesting for readers. I, I'm I'm an avid reader, reader, and uh, I certainly like Michael Conley, uh, mm-hmm. the Harry Bosch series, and and as you say, it's LA based uh, detective, and I thought it would be interesting to have a detective that was in a smaller city, the the area. Uh, that Bloomington, uh, the surrounding area is about 150,000 people. So uh, it's considerably smaller than a Metroplex. And I've lived in Metroplexes most of my life. And I lived in downtown Chicago for a number of years. And crime is uh, pretty rampant in that city. And you kind of have that expectation, I think, when you read a novel like this. But I thought it would be interesting to to focus on a detective in a smaller town uh, or city. Um, and Bloomington Normal uh, is, is a city that has very few murders in reality. Uh, more people get killed in my books than whatever, you know, get killed in, in Bloomington Normal. So I, I think the expectation is a small town, fewer crimes, but obviously in order to write a, a murder mystery, you need to have murders in, um, so focusing it here in Bloomington, I thought would be interesting. I know the area I grew up in the vicinity. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting settings that one could have their book take place. So I'm very comfortable writing here. With this character, uh, Sasha Frank, how what was the introduction like to him? Did he kind of show up fully formed or was he something you kind of pieced together over a period of time? I, he came somewhat fully formed um, in the first book. He he doesn't appear for the first probably fifty pages. In the second book, he appears probably by t- page ten. Um, and the second book is actually a prequel to the first book. It it occurs five years earlier than the, than the first book. And I think I I spent a lot of time in the first book describing who Sasha Frank was, what his background was. Uh, which gave me the opportunity to make the second book um, more fast-paced by not spending time beginning to bring out characters. And since it was going to be in a series, um, I wanted to have reoccurring characters um, in a smaller city. So I I think trying to develop the character of Sasha Frank, um, it it kind of built over time when I decided to write the mystery. Uh, and certainly it, it blossomed as I was actually writing it. So I started out with basic idea of who Sasha Frank was, what his background was, what his life was like. And then I just started building and adding, you know, some dimension to the character after I started writing the first book. Um, and I hope, I hope readers find him interesting and um, flawed, like all mm-hmm. of us are, um, but an interesting character who who has grown as a police detective over the years. And with him being written in, in third person, was that a, a deliberate choice you made about how to craft your story or was that kind of how Sasha told you his story? I, it's an interesting question. I actually write in you know several persons, uh, you know, first, second, and third at different times in the book. So I did that purposely. Um, I wanted, you know, to make the readers at time feel that they were participating in the investigation. Um, and I, hopefully I accomplished that, but no, I, I specifically wanted to do it from that perspective, just to, to add a different dimension. I think it, most books don't 
necessarily use multiple persons to tell a story. Um, but I enjoy that aspect of, of the book and of writing to try to insert the reader into the book, into the storyline and into the investigation to help solve the crime themselves and make them feel like they're really a part. Of it. Now, we had a, a pretty long and successful career in business before you became a full-time writer. And I, I wonder what first inspired you to write and if you had any mentors along the way that may have helped guide or push you into this uh, new second career. Um, I was uh, in the automotive industry for a number of years in my career and I wrote an industry blog and that's where I first started becoming involved as a writer and enjoying writing. And as my career was coming to an end, uh, I had several friends who suggested that I write a book on business, you know, mm -hmm. business philosophy, that type of thing. And I found that absolutely impossible. I tried mm -hmm. uh, because they said, write a book on, you know, write a book on your business philosophy, and then you can go out and become a conference speaker and have a second career doing that. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. I like, I like speaking and I like writing. So I'll try that. And the difficulty is when you write a book like that about business philosophy or business tactics, you're really writing the book about yourself. And I found that yeah. impossible to do. And so I, I kind of pivoted, well, a hard pivot from <laughs> writing a book on business to writing a murder mystery only because I enjoyed writing. I thought I'm retired or, you know, semi-retired at this time. And I needed something to do during the winter. And I mm -hmm. thought, okay, well, this, this would be interesting to try. And and it was, it was, I found it very interesting, uh, very difficult, but very interesting to write. And that's how I kind of evolved into becoming a writer. A, a lot of, uh, a lot of writers I know have their, their first effort. The first thing they ever really tried to write ends up as a drawer novel. That's never going to see the light of day and probably hasn't seen more than one or two readers. Uh, do you have a drawer novel or is deliberate duplicity your, your first effort? Deliberate duplicity was my first effort. I don't have a drawer novel, but I, I will say that when I wrote deliberate duplicity, um, I, it was like a doorstop. It was so big. It was so <laughs> many words. You know, I, I went way overboard in descriptions yeah. and narrative and, uh, and building characters. And um, so going through the process of, you know, self-editing, um, I knocked it back a lot. And then when you actually go through um, the publishing process and going through the various editors that touch a book, as you know, I mean, a lot of people have an opportunity to look at it and help you, you know, make it better. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, I was lucky to do that, but I probably cut the book in half uh, from oh. the original. So the original could have been a drawer you know, <laughs> book, but, uh, but it, it evolved. And uh, luckily with the help of yeah. uh, the publishers and certainly the editors that I've worked with that I like very much, um, I learned a lot during that process. So Cold Consequences is, is a shorter book and much, much faster paced. Um, and one that I think it's, it's a page turner that I think readers are enjoying. Um, and I hope, I hope they do. And for someone who hasn't worked in law enforcement, how did you go about researching uh, cops or police culture or criminals or, you know, uh, making sure that your 
your representation here of the, the cops, crimes, and criminals in this story was uh, authentic enough to, to satisfy readers? Well, I, I've read a lot of books over the years. So I think as a reader, you, you get inside of various characters um, mm-hmm. that you know other people have written. Um, also, just living in metroplexes, you read about crime every day mm-hmm. and you read about police investigations every day. So I, I think that certainly helped me, but I, I probably took a, a very different tack than most. You, you know, I have no, as you say, law enforcement background at all. I have no family member who's actively involved in law enforcement. So I actually wrote it more of a me walking into a crime scene and how would I approach it? And I almost approach it from a business-like manner. How, do, how mm-hmm. did I solve a problem in business? Um, you know, you see all of the crime shows on television and movies and the like. I think everybody now feels like they're, you know, amateur detectives mm-hmm. um, because we've been, it's been so, you know, ingrained in our minds as we watch these these shows today. So I think I just used, uh, for the most part, except for by very technical aspects of it, um, I just, how would I walk into a scene and what would I, what were the steps that I would take if I was Sasha Frank? And that's how I actually wrote the book, um, which is different, I think, than probably many would. But uh, that's that's how I approached it. There's a problem to be solved. Just get in there and solve it. And hopefully it comes across. I think it does. I, I was, as I said, I won the award for the procedural mm-hmm. first book. So hopefully that comes across in the book, that it, it's realistic and, you know, pays homage to, you know, our people in blue. Yeah, one of the things that um, that I really enjoy as a as a reader are stories where the all the characters are are, are represented three dimensionally, right? Like, you know, the villain isn't just a two dimensional bad guy being bad for the sake of being bad. There's you know, there's always you know backstory. There's always motivation. There's always you know the hero, the hero of their own story, right? Um, right. And I wonder how you went about making sure that your, your villains and your, uh, your ne'er-do-wells in this crime story had this three-dimensional background that the, the readers got to understand a little bit so that they weren't just cardboard cutouts committing crime. Yeah, I think there's, a, there's an interesting mix of characters, of, of the bad guy characters. Uh, there are truly bad guys who you, know, you, you don't like, and nor should you, uh, but there are characters who are bad guys that that you really have a lot of empathy for. And actually, uh, a number of reviewers have pointed that out, that, you know, they feel sorry for some of the, the bad guys because of the position that they were put in and some actions that they've taken where, you know, it was because of a life choice out of need um, or a life choice because of someone else's actions that turned them into of people of crime. And, and I tried to, to, to build that into a number of the characters um, because things happened to them that made them then do something bad. Um, so I, I think there's a fine balance there, but you know, there's, there's kind of good bad guys and then there's bad, bad guys. Yeah. And hopefully that comes out in the book. Yeah. And that's, you know, from my, my background working as a cop, that was one of the things that, um, 
was a, a little bit, I don't want to say it was a surprise to me. Uh, that wouldn't really be fair, but um, I guess something I, I, I learned very quickly working in, in, in patrol was that there really are very few bad guys. Most folks are victims of circumstance uh, that seems to relieve them too much of their, their culpability, but um, you know, they're putting uh, desperate people doing desperate things um, in taking the, the best of a couple bad choices and oftentimes, you know, risking their, their safety and their freedom to try to, you know, put food on the table or, or deal with their addiction issues or other things like that. And it's, it's really nice um, when we get to see those kind of characters uh, represented in fiction so that, you know, I think it helps, helps us as, as, as humans maybe have a little bit more compassion and sympathy for each other, even if we're just dealing with this fictionally. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good point, Kevin, because there, you know, there's people who, uh, I guess everybody who follows a life of crime have their own reasons for doing so. And, and everybody can rationalize those reasons as we can about all things in our lives, mm-hmm. uh, things that we might, you know, be flawed about or bad decisions we've made over our lives. But, I think certainly there's a couple of characters in the book that that you know are reacting to a, a murder that takes place, and these are good people, um, but then they made decisions that made them bad people, and it's it's hard to look at them and go, you know, you're just bad, but because you most of your life you were a good person and you did good things and and contributed in a number of different ways to your community but because of something that took place you know you snapped and then you made a decision to go in a different direction um yeah it's actually as a writer i enjoyed writing those characters into the book um because again i think it just adds a a layer um into the complexity of the story and that you know there are bad people, but there are good, bad people. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a strange way of saying it, but not all people are bad. And as you say, you have to show a lot of compassion to people um, regardless of the situation. There's obviously some terrible people in our world um, mm-hmm. and there's no redemption for them. And it's difficult to make them uh, be empathetic, but, but hopefully several of the characters in this book, a reader can feel empathy for them and and understand why it's actually a positive for the story itself yeah and i i do enjoy i've got in the in my crime series is about um the the town that that's in is a fictional city so i didn't want to give any any credit or blame to, to a, a real police department that may or may not deserve it um right but uh, the, the city that I write in is smaller than, than Bloomington, where you have Sasha placed. Um, but one of the things that I enjoy about writing that kind of big town, small city cop uh, was that they, unlike Bosch, who we talked about earlier, you know, Bosch shows up only when there's a homicide and he only deals with the homicide part of it. And in smaller departments, smaller towns, um, cops were more than just that one specialty hat. And that's one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed with that character uh, is being able to have him 
involved in more things besides just murder so that there wasn't uh, you know just a, a body dropping every uh, every three to six months in the story yeah. <laughs> right and, and I think that, that's an interesting point because I, I've the third book involves another murder uh, or murders but um, I have in the back of my mind writing a mystery that that may not be a murder but I'm not sure I don't know as a writer you you have a better feel for this than than maybe myself because I haven't been doing this for this long but um, I, I don't know. I don't know if readers would find a mystery about a bank theft as interesting as it would be a murder mystery. Um, I don't know. That's something I haven't figured out yet. But I, I've thought about doing a slight turn away from mm-hmm. a, a murder mystery because you're right. In a, in a town such as Bloomington, Illinois, it's um, there may be two or three murders a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I have, you know, seven people might die in, in my book uh, in three months. So it, it's distinctly different. And <laughs> Sasha obviously does other yeah. things. He, he investigates all sorts of crimes um, that come, up, come about. There's not a homicide detective in the book. He's just mm-hmm. a detective uh, as opposed to Harry Bosch. But yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. And I, I, I need to give that some thought as to how I could, you know, write a mystery where someone doesn't die um be worth spending some time thinking about yeah i think that's one of the one of the things that's really nice i I, as a reader and a writer i i enjoy series more than more than standalones i've got um probably three or four standalones that i would like to write someday but i keep getting pulled back into into continuing my my series and um i think the, the challenge in writing in series, especially crime series, is that you have this one project that's, you know, this year's project or this, you know, six months project that you have to make it the best possible book that it can be. And you put everything you have into it and then you turn it in and you turn around and start all over again and create another story, yeah. another circumstance that's the best that you can put out. And um, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, even, uh, even in a, you know, with writing something like Bosch where, you know, people get murdered all the time in LA. Um, I think it, it still would be a, a challenge to make it varied enough for, uh, for the audience, the varied circumstances and the, the investigation. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. I, and, and for me to make it real life, uh, and, and believable, plausible, uh, where a reader would say, yeah, like I could see this happening. Um, I think in, in a smaller city, uh, like where I live, you know, it, it's some of the murders that take place are pretty bad. Uh, not that it, mm-hmm. it was a good murder, but, but, you know, people are, you know, viciously killed. Um, yeah. and it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, interesting as I'm writing this third book um, again it, I'm actually uh, writing it where the murder took place 16 years ago and they just happened to have found the skeletal remains of, of the person who was murdered and then as they're going through the investigation they determine that you know maybe there's some other people who have been killed as well I, I think trying to come up with ways to you know especially for me 
how do you how people are killed um that's difficult to write about um mm-hmm. so i think you know the idea of, of coming up with something new every six to 12 months it so far I've, this is only my third so it's i, I don't want to say it's easy but it's it's not too difficult um but to go on to number four or five if i continue writing which i think that i will i I can understand how that would be difficult to do and to come up with new ways to kill people off when that's something that doesn't happen very much in a small town i wonder is uh most writers that I know, as you mentioned earlier, are also pretty avid readers. And I, I wonder who your favorite fictional investigators are to, to read or watch in books, TV, or film. Um, certainly Michael Connolly, Harry Bosch is by far my favorite, um, both to read um, as well as to watch um, as a series. I enjoy it very, very much. Um, you know, Lee Child, I like the Jack Reacher books. Um, I find him interesting um, as a character. So I think those are the two that, that I like by far the most and, and follow the most. Um, I'm sure I've read every single Michael Connelly book and mm-hmm. every Lee Child book there, there's been written. Um, so I, I think those are the ones that I, I certainly enjoy the most. Well, if uh, you're willing to play along, David, I'd like to uh, close out the show with a hypothetical. Based on what you've just said, I wonder if you were to find yourself in a circumstance similar to which you've thrust uh, Sasha Frank in this book, that if you've been called to investigate the murder of the granddaughter of one of the most powerful judges in your town, and it looks like they've been murdered during a drug deal, obviously in a small town or small city, the media, the public are going to be breathing down your neck. The mayor's calling, right, to try to get this case closed out. And you have the chance to bring in a couple of fictional investigators to be on your task force to solve this murder. Who would you bring in other than Sasha Frank? You mean as fictional characters yes. that already exist or ones that I'm going to be writing about? Because I, I, Sasha Frank does have a partner um that he's brought in uh to help him investigate um It'd be, so uh, I, I yeah characters that you don't write i'm sorry okay well i i guess i go to uh jack reacher to me he's somebody who you know forgetting harry bosch um which obviously everybody would love to have harry bosch help them on a case but the I think Jack Reacher is somebody who is kind of reminds me in a way of, of Sasha. He, he's in dogged pursuit of whatever uh, he's trying to solve the mystery he's trying to solve or the murder he's trying to solve, not as an investigator, but just as a, you know, as an ex military guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's an interesting question, um, but someone like that, I think, uh, who, you know, doesn't rest and continues to pursue, you know, each lead and takes it to wherever it takes them, uh, I think would be a good compliment to, to Sasha. 
Fantastic. Well, I, th- I think her murder shall soon be solved. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, <laughs> it is solved. And it, hopefully readers will find how it ends um, a good ending. And Sasha, as with all police detectives or police officers, everybody's fighting for justice for those people who have been affected by crime. And uh, certainly... Ashley Cummins um, will find justice by the end of the book. Where can readers keep up with you and your works in progress? Maybe find uh, a newsletter or get information on anything that you've got, uh, anything that you've got going. Uh, I can be followed at my website, which is davidrolfing.com. Certainly they can find out all about me or, or the books that I'm, I've written and books that I'm writing there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at David Rolfing, and uh, I'm on Facebook at David Rolfing Author. Fantastic. Well, I greatly appreciate you making time to come on the show and sharing your your expertise with us. I am so grateful for you to be here, and I'm really looking forward to to getting finished with Cold Consequences and uh, eagerly awaiting the third in the series. I appreciate it, Gavin, very much. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Is there anything you thought of along the way that um, you wanted to, to bring up or add? Um, no, I don't think so. I, th- I thought it was very good talking to you. I will say, tell you one thing that uh, there's a dedication in the book. And one interesting fact about me is that on March 19th of 2019, I had uh, suffered cardiac arrest. Oh, wow. And I was down for 15 minutes. And um, between my wife and a 911 dispatcher, a police officer, and uh, a number of paramedics who were able to get a pulse back uh, after 15 minutes of working on me, um, they got me to a hospital that was about seven minutes away, and they put me into a, a, a cool freeze. They dropped my temperature down about 80 degrees, and not only did they bring me back to life, but they saved my brain in its entirety, which is wow. mind boggling. Yeah. Uh, I am a walking miracle. So, um, you know, the only, there is a dedication in it, uh, in the book to all those people that I just mentioned. And just as a general comment, I would tell you that any and all people who would listen to this broadcast, if they would have a coronary calcium CT scan done, um, which costs about $100 at your local hospital, generally. Um, that would be something that would show doctors that you might have a problem with your heart. I had a physical two weeks before I had uh, my sudden cardiac arrest, and I had a clean bill of health. Everything was fine, but obviously it wasn't. So I'm one of those very fortunate people who uh, less than 1% survive sudden cardiac arrest that takes place in the home. And if I was still living in downtown Chicago, I wouldn't have made it. They couldn't have gotten to me mm, yeah. fast enough. But living where I live, uh, which I moved here about five years ago, I was um, able to survive. So um, I always like to just add that bit of information. It's, it's a very inexpensive test that hospitals do that can tell someone whether their heart has blockages or not. So well, I might add that. Yeah, that is a fantastic. Story. I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm, I am so grateful that you made it. And as you mentioned, yeah, there, there's, 
I've never known anyone who um, got put through more than a couple minutes of CPR that can talk about it today. So um, first, your wife definitely loves you. <laughs> and she definitely wants you around. Um, I would agree. Yeah. Well, so and again, the, the people who came, uh, there was a police officer here within, I think, two and a half minutes. Um, and, you know, the paramedics were here within about six minutes. So I guess the, the value of living in a smaller mm-hmm. town at times is that people can get to you. Plus, I was so close to the, uh, to the hospital where they, they brought me back to life. Um, but they put me into this therapeutic hypothermia, um, you know, to save my brain effectively. Um, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, it's, it's amazing to be able to, you know, go through a miracle, which this certainly was. Um, but yeah, so once you go past six minutes, mm-hmm. chances are virtually non-existent. And my doctor's you know, both of my doctors, the doctor who put me into the uh, hypothermia, as well as my cardiac specialist, um, just see me as a, you know, walking miracle, especially I had no brain damage. It's really mind boggling. So Mm -hmm. I'm very blessed in that regard. Now, just to be totally intrusive um, with a borderline complete stranger, um, (laughs) I'm immediately curious uh, because of, you know, the way that body your body and your brain deal with, with trauma. Um, if you have any memory of, of the event and then waking up in the hospital, or if a lot of that is fuzzy and repressed. I have zero memory of, um, of the event. And I was just sitting talking to my wife when it happened actually, but zero memory. Uh, I have, I was in the hospital for eight days uh, recovering. And while I was in the hospital, I have, it was actually during March Madness, and I'm a mm-hmm. huge March, March Madness <laughs> fan, fanatic. Yeah. And there, during the, um, I, I remember someone who was, they gave me a heart vest of some sort that I had to wear for 30 days after I was released that would shock me if my heart got out of whack. Um, and I, my wife tells me that I paid no attention. I have a, a millisecond memory of the woman who was, explaining to me how to use the vest, which is funny because I would have not remembered and I don't remember at all. Um, I had no memory other than just remembering her and maybe just because I was slightly agitated because it was during a game that I was wanting to watch when she was wanting to talk to me. And I can remember a cardiologist that works with the cardiologists that um, worked on me who was talking with me. And I said, well, I like you, you sound good. You know, I think I'd like to have you as my cardiologist. And he said, well, I, I'd choose the guy that actually saved your life if I was you. I remember that. <laughs> <clears throat> and It's good advice. Yeah, it was, it was reasonable advice. And I remember one other um, doctor who was in to explain something to me. I don't remember what it is, but I remember her face. Uh, but those are the only three things out of eight days. And so, yeah, I would say that you're, you know, my brain kept me from remembering all that happened to me. Cause I know that I was, they had some brace on my leg. Cause they put the, there was a tube into one of my arteries in my leg for the cooling um, solution, whatever that was. And I know that I was in a lot of pain um, afterwards. They, they put you into a paralytic uh, state. So like 
I couldn't move because my temperature was down so low that I'd be shivering all the time and they couldn't do that. Uh, I, my body wouldn't take that evidently. So they had me in this paralytic state. And when I came out of that, um, first off, my wife went home because she had to leave between six and eight every day in the morning. And she went home and the, as she was leaving, they said, okay, we're going to start the process of waking him up. It'll take eight to 12 hours, could take 24 hours to get him up. And they called him, called her and said, after about an hour and a half and said, you need to get back here. He's waking up and he's talking. So, and I came out of it and they asked me like, who's the president? And told me president Trump or yeah, president Trump and his vice president was Mike Pence and he used to be a I started just rattling off all this information um and they they wanted to know is this his personality you know type of thing but and, and it was I came back just the way I went in so uh other than 100% alive but yeah uh, yeah so it, it very the mind is an interesting thing it just yeah. totally blocked any and all memory uh because it, it I feel bad for my wife because you know it it took a toll on her mm-hmm. having this all happen and for me it's not even a memory uh yeah and i i golf and i do all the things that i've done before i you know it took me about 90 days to go through a recovery process you know just to get my you know muscles back and things like that after sitting in a bed for eight days but the um but yeah it never happened which is wow. is difficult for her because it obviously did yeah and for all my family and friends, it happened, but I, but it didn't. It's a very bizarre situation to be in. Yeah, that uh, brings me back to uh, the Princess Bride, where thankfully you were only mostly dead. <laughs> Actually, I, I use that all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, when Billy Crystal says, you know, it turns out you're just mostly dead. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like that line. And I, I also kiddingly say, you know, well, I remember when I was dead, uh, you know, it, some family members don't appreciate it, but it's just a morbid way of dealing with it, I guess. But, uh, yeah. but again, it, it's just, it never happened, mm-hmm. uh, which is so strange. Uh, but that's how the mind works. But, but I'm able to, uh, again, the number, the percentage of people who come out of what I came out of with zero issues, my heart pumps uh i think it's infarction it's called mm-hmm. how much blood is pumped from one chamber to the other um i'm i, I think the average is somewhere between 60 and 70 and i'm at 65 percent. so my heart had zero damage other than the one spot where mm-hmm. it had the blockage um which was repaired so yeah it's just yeah no physical issues it's just very very it's crazy and, uh, that is I am a, the proverbial walking miracle. Yeah, that's crazy fortunate. Yes, wow. yes it is. But I, I did, I do like to mention that just because of the, you know, the uh, coronary CT scan that that anyone and everybody should have. And I've had a number of family members and friends who have had this test done subsequent to to my having sudden cardiac arrest, and several of them are now on medication and found that they had heart issues that they didn't even know they had. So, you know, they're, you know, a good thing came out of a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. God's using you to save an untold number of lives. I hope so. 
Yeah. Um, I feel like that. And that's, you know, certainly why I uh, made the dedication um, and the acknowledgement of the book. Uh, and I, I don't even know who some of these people are um, <laughs> that, that helped me. Uh, but hopefully um, they know how much I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, man. I really appreciate uh, your time in the book. And I'm going to look forward to, to talking to you, uh, I guess, next summer, man. I hope so. I look All forward right. to it. Thank you. All right. Take care, David. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been David Rolfing. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.